Hello and welcome to the Gifted Ed Podcast. We are your hosts, Angel Van Howe, Gifted Coordinator and SCL Facilitator, and Megan McCarthy, Social Worker. We're grateful for the opportunity to share this space with you today as we talk about the complexities of giftedness. Today, we will be discussing our latest guest of the Family Speaker Series, Dr. Deborah Heitner. The Family Speaker Series is part of a larger vision to bring professional development on the various facets of giftedness to our community. Dr. Deborah Heitner is the author of ScreenWise, Helping Children Thrive and Survive in the Digital World, as well as Growing Up in Public. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN Opinion, and Fast Company, among others. Dr. Heitner earned her PhD in Media Technology and Society from Northwestern University and has taught at DePaul University and Northwestern University. She visited our campus for the day and spent time with our various constituents of our school, but primarily focused on our middle school students and community members. She presented to our middle school advisory classes during the day and then led a presentation in the evening for our community. We wanted to highlight what she discussed with middle school students into three main points, empathy, self-monitoring, and the potential impact on one's self-concept. The idea of empathy took on different perspectives. One being how children feel when adults or family members post pictures of them on social media without consent. The other being aware of how tone, intent, and motivation are not easily communicated or discernible through text communication. As a result, outcomes from text-based communication can be interpreted as unempathetic and or hurtful. The idea of getting consent from children or students before posting their photos and or stories seems absolutely logical. How often does it happen? For example, with all good intention, parents may post a video from their child's performance, which is something that came up during Dr. Heitner's discussion with middle school gifted students, without asking their child for permission. Middle school gifted students who participated with Dr. Heitner's discussion shared how uncomfortable they felt when their parents shared videos or recordings from their performances because of mistakes that they made. And now they had to relive the experiences through others watching or listening to their errors. I don't know about you, Megan, but I have a story that comes to mind. And I'm really glad it wasn't videoed. Um, back in the day, when I was in kindergarten, we had a special parachute dance in our PE class that we performed at night for the whole school community. And I remember that I bought new shoes for, for the special event, and they were a little bit big on me. And one of the dances involved kicking up our feet as high as we could. Well, my shoe flew off my foot. It went, you know, way up and it landed actually on the parachute. And, you know, of course it was funny and people were laughing. And I think to myself, would I have wanted this video to archive? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. Right. And I think it's just so, it's so different for for kids now than it was for us in terms of, you know, thinking back to all of those embarrassing moments and potential for mistakes. Not that I struggle with perfectionism or anything, but nonetheless, you know, challenging. Well, and I think it just hits on the idea of perspective taking, right? Because any adult who were to look at that video would think, oh, that's so cute and how funny. But then taking the perspective of the child who is being posted and it being right. shared, it might Absolutely. be the worst day of their lives. But we think it's we have the perspective of like, that's not that big of a deal. Right. It's cute. It's just interesting how that hits differently depending on who the audience is. Absolutely. A parent's unintentional oversight with getting consent can trigger embarrassment, shame, or frustration from their child. 
Also thinking about birthday posts, when again, out of good intentions, parents may post young or infant pictures of their child. These images can impact a tween a lot differently than a five-year-old. Without giving consent to their parents, a gifted tween or teen may feel uncomfortable and awkward about others viewing their body image or physical appearance through their growing years. So this kind of made me think on two things. One is like, how do you, what would be a good realistic way to approach this? And one thought is because parents, as soon as a baby is born, sometimes post because that's how they communicate with Absolutely. family who don't live nearby. And, right. and it's just a nice way to get right. in touch with people. because That's just how the world works. But it might be something for the adults in the kids' lives to kind of reevaluate through different developmental stages and ages. And kind of once the kid gets a little older, having those conversations or reevaluate what's being posted, how old is the child, what makes sense to me to discuss with the kid, what I'm going to post or not post. Because um, obviously you start at newborn well, when they're 15. Exactly. It's, it might just bring that level of awareness as the child ages and as they enter social media and get their own accounts. Just kind of having those boundary conversations, mm -hmm. I think it's also a great way to reinstill it with your kid, too, in terms of boundaries on social media. Right. And I think, too, depending on your kid's personality and what they're comfortable with mm -hmm. and then how that, you know, changes, you know, as they get their own social media accounts. I think that's a that's a bigger deal in terms yes. of, you know, now they are part of that community. Mm -hmm. They are part of what people see. And I think they're going to be definitely affected in a, in a, in a more uh, profound way. And the other piece now that you say that, too, that I was thinking about is not taking lead from what they're posting as parents or as the adults. Right. Well, if they're posting uh, this picture, it's obvious. OK, if I post this picture and I think just not making those assumptions because you putting out your own information is always going to feel different than an adult making that decision for you. And so right. just having those checkpoints of. Right. And I think, too, it's not just the image, but it's what the image communicates. Yeah. Right. The and, messaging. And the messaging and, and, and moments that, you know, where, where are the boundaries of privacy? Yeah. Before you're 18, even. And those you are know? good family and values to talk through. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And encouraging those conversations of, you know, what they're comfortable with. And like you said, revisiting those conversations mm -hmm. throughout, you know, throughout the year. Mm -hmm. It's not like a one and done. Right. And that we can make changes as a family to what we put out there. Dr. Heitner also discussed empathy through digital communication with middle school gifted students. She asked students if their peers ever misinterpreted their text-based messages. Students responded with a resounding yes and explained how difficult it is to understand somebody's tone or expression through text. Students vented about the hundreds of notifications and group text messages they are receiving. So she touched on how they could make conscious choices about what text groups that they want to be a part of. And Dr. Heitner also brought up the other modes of communication, such as talking through Discord or even a phone call. She suggested that students may turn off their notification sounds when they feel overwhelmed by the pains. And that's something you can also do during certain times of the day if you notice it being a certain trigger. And Dr. Heitner asked if students get offended during group texts with other peers. Many students agree that this does happen. And she suggested that when a student has been offended by another peer's response in a group, that the student may approach the conflict with the peer in a private text message or conversation and not to converse about it over the whole group message. Well, you know, I have certain instances as an adult that I'm thinking of with mm -hmm. group texts yep. when people, you know, are offended and then they talk about it 
with everybody in the text. And let me just tell you, it doesn't go well. No, I don't think it ever does. No. And especially, you know, being an adolescent and trying to navigate that. Mm -hmm. I think that was really good advice. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, that's a, that's a bit scary to do, yeah. right? Because you're, it's just you one-on-one, on one, but the outcomes can be so much more productive. And I thought that was such a good way to like use the reality, right? That right. kids message and do group messages. But how can we then bring in an element that we know typically goes well, which is one-to-one -one communication over group? Um, and just the idea of picking up the phone, calling someone. Um, <laughs> you know what? She did mention during her presentation um, that her son answered her phone call for the first time. And, and, and it was very abrupt. Um, and I'm not going to recall it verbatim, but it was something to the effect of, you know, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Get to the point. <laughs> well, and, and we forget, you know, again, if you grew up with a telephone, you know, like like I did with a cord, I don't know, right? you're younger than I yes. am. And so, uh, you know, we, we were very used to it. Yep. And there was an etiquette um, taught with it. And I think when, you know, we live in times where technology is accelerating at such a fast pace where, you know, etiquette and, and quote, training doesn't necessarily match mm -hmm. that pace. And, you know, we have expectations of, of people that they would know things, you know, especially adolescents when mm -hmm. it's not in their world. Well, and that makes me think of two things. We had my sister and I had a script we had to use when we answered the phone for the family. Really? Yep. You were organized. I was just <laughs> what? I don't know. This is just like how you answer the phone in the house. And then also the idea. So that's when we got a phone call. Right. And then there was one or two phones, I think, in our house and they were in common areas. Um, so there's no privacy. And then the other piece is when I called a friend, I had to most likely talk to an adult first. Like I had to Same. process with yeah. their mom or dad or whoever, you know, and how's this going or that going? Like you had to have a conversation with an adult before you got to your friend, which right. is also just... Just that adult practice shift. conversation, right? And the last thing I, I thought in terms of empathy that she brought up that was interesting was she encouraged students to think about what they are liking or supporting on their social media platforms and just having like really pushing students to think about how their likes reflect empathy or lack of empathy. The second point we want to discuss was the idea of self-monitoring. So students should think about different types of self-monitoring within their digital relationship. Digital communication and consumption do not have built-in limits for each individual's health. So a child's digital relationship includes themselves and their parents. This can look like setting alarms in your phone or placing your phone outside of the bedroom, turning off technology an hour before bedtime, etc. Also establishing wind down routines at night that limit or stop the use of tech prior to bed. Creating space throughout their day for an integrated mindfulness practice can also help students be aware of their body signals when they're feeling hungry or tired or emotional. And checking in before they engage with technology can also assist with their self-monitoring. Dr. Heitner spoke to adults about the difference between mentoring and monitoring their child's digital experience. And when I think about the two of mentoring versus monitoring, mentoring feels like they're engaging in discussions and it's kind of a two-way relationship where monitoring kind of seems more one-way, like they're just checking for what's being posted. I agree with you. And I would say mentoring involves support. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're monitoring something, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to give support. But like mm -hmm. you said, you know, that discussion piece, that conversation, um, you know, about different perspectives mm -hmm. and different um, comfort levels and potential outcomes of posting something or phrasing or. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes things pop up mm -hmm. that are inappropriate. Yep. Um, and if, you know, if you're not there to mentor, if you're just yeah. monitoring 
you know, it's important for your child to know that they can talk to you about what they saw. Yeah. Maybe that was disturbing or something that was unwanted that now, you know, is in their mind's eye. And I think if we if we engage more in the mentoring, we've opened the platform for discussion versus monitoring with this is good or bad. Right. And so there's less of a likelihood of bringing things up if, if that's kind of the model. There's less of an educational opportunity. Mm-hmm. She spoke about how closed systems, for example, like Nintendo Switch, may have more potential to control settings and ensure that your child isn't playing with unwanted strangers. In contrast, she described how open systems like YouTube may warrant more adult supervision. Making conscious decisions with your children about what servers or systems that they have access to could lend itself to more secure experiences. In our busy lives and schedules, it can be common for a child to be on a digital device with headphones across the room, while adults are working on their computers. If we are used to this, we may not think to take a look at what they are seeing on their screen. Taking a moment to walk by and glance at what is being displayed on their screen can provide opportunities for conversations, support, and mentorship. Dr. Heiner encouraged parents, especially parents of younger children, to be present in the event that their child is engaging with inappropriate content. Parents can utilize those instances for teachable moments. The last point that we're going to cover today is self-concept. We live in a time where students have to deal with seeing their digital images so frequently and compare themselves to their peers across social media platforms. How does this impact a child's self-concept? If you were a tween or teen 20 years ago, you didn't have to worry about how many likes that you got. You didn't need to be concerned with comparing photos of yourself with perfect filters against those of your peers. You also weren't necessarily visibly reminded through social media posts of who was living their best life or who had more friends than you. Even if you didn't fit in within social norms, you weren't constantly reminded of it through social media. All of these instances can cause tremendous pressure and insecurities. Assisting your child to make conscious choices about what social media platforms or the amount of social media platforms that they participate with may contribute more positively to their self-concept and empower their decision-making abilities. Helping your child balance their screen time and non-screen time can provide breaks and respite from these challenges. We want to end by asking our listeners to take one strategy that we discussed with you today and to try it at home. We want to thank you for joining us in the space today. Please subscribe to the Gifted Ed podcast to stay up to date with our latest episodes. Stay tuned for our next episode that continues to unpack the complexities of giftedness.